This week in Retronauts, Merry Christmas, 1997. Parasite Eve makes me miss the Squaresoft of old. The company still produces good games, but it rarely gives us anything as daring as 1997's quote-unquote cinematic RPG. Square navigated the transition from 16 to 32-bit game design perhaps more adeptly than any other publisher in the world. Nearly everything they developed or published for PlayStation was at the very least good and frequently passed over into truly great. These days, people mostly remember Final Fantasy VII and its sequels, but the Squaresoft PS1 lineup offered a remarkable variety of games and concepts to complement its mega-hits. From the viciously authentic samurai battles of Bushido Blade to the trippy 2D shooting of Einhander, Square embraced the industry's move to polygons, CD-ROMs, and 3D with remarkable enthusiasm and skill. Parasite Eve tends to fall in with those semi-forgotten creations. And given how dicey the game's most recent sequel turned out, the third birthday for PSP, I could certainly be forgiven. But even taken on its own intrinsic merits, the game feels very dated, like a product of a very specific time and place. It's a very mid-90s creation, even without the Merry Christmas 1997 ornament in the opening cutscene to date it. Square's driving concept behind Parasite Eve was to create the aforementioned cinematic RPG, a role-playing game that would play more or less like a movie. As with Final Fantasy VII, that essentially meant the action would be punctuated with full-motion videos that helped set the story. While computer-rendered cutscenes were the cutting edge of tech in 1997, those cinematic videos are the primary culprits behind Parasite Eve's dated feel, running at the PS1's low resolution and bearing the heavily artifacted look of all FMVs on the system. Parasite Eve's movie sequences have aged from stunning to eyesore over the past 18 years. Even running in clean, high-definition resolutions, though, the FMVs would still look terribly behind the times. The simplistic character models appear lifeless and move awkwardly, with some of the most offensively poor animation appearing at the game's beginning in the form of the opera singer who would become the villain of the piece and her hilariously terrible-looking performance. The game's cinematic fidelity is hampered in other ways as well. Like all Squaresoft PS1 RPGs, Parasite Eve lacks any voice acting, with dialogue relayed entirely through text boxes. This translates into cutscenes acting out as a sort of dramatic pantomime, with lots of close-up shots of characters acting and reacting in stoic silence, the only sounds consisting of music and diegetic noise such as explosions. Similarly, the game's environmental design calls back to the late 90s as well, employing the same mix of polygonal characters atop static backgrounds that Square first put to use in Final Fantasy VII. 
A mix of pre-rendered CG and hand-drawn retouching, Parasite Eve's backgrounds were produced to look fine at the PS1's low resolution on standard definition televisions, but they don't scale up cleanly. So in a technical sense, yes, Parasite Eve is terribly dated. Its low-res graphics, silent and artifact-laden FMVs, and general clunkiness make it a bit of an eyesore in 2016. But funnily enough, everything else about Parasite Eve is held up remarkably well. In many ways, it feels much more like a contemporary video game now than it did in 1997. Some of the odd creative choices Squaresoft made in developing this RPG proved to be remarkably forward-facing, and with a visual overhaul and a few tweaks, this 18-year-old adventure could hold its own today. The game's view toward the future began at the conceptual level. Uncharacteristically for, well, pretty much any game at the time, Parasite Eve represented a collaboration between US and Japanese developers. While we had occasionally seen East-West productions in the past, those tended to split duties between creative design and tech production between territories. For example, some of Sunsoft's NES games, such as Fester's Quest, were conceived in the US and produced in Japan, while Nintendo and Argonaut's Star Fox took the opposite tack the game being designed in Japan and produced in England. Parasite Eve, however, didn't divide its roles and duties so rigidly. While many of the lead staff hailed from Square's Tokyo offices, including producer Hironobu Sakaguchi and composer Yoko Shimomura, the game was largely developed in America, with American team members offering significant creative feedback throughout. This dual parentage shines through in the game itself. While it looks unabashedly Japanese in some ways, thanks in large part to illustrator Tetsuya Nomura's clean character designs, the modern-day New York City setting feels like New York, rather than like Tokyo wearing New York skin. Something that couldn't be said for the third birthday, in fact the game captures the spirit of the US so well that it seems to have several Japanese point-of-view characters built into the story to make things a little more palatable for the home audience. The most obvious comes with the scientist named Maeda, who helps propel the story forward with scientific exposition. But there's also the armory officer, Torres, who dispenses anti-gun diatribes as he hands out weaponry. Presumably because America's weird obsession with the Second Amendment is so bizarre to outsiders that the game's writers felt the need to include someone to present a balancing perspective. This real-world, modern-day setting helps cement Parasite Eve's unique nature. While the idea of an RPG playing out in a real-world, urban setting wasn't entirely unheard of, Square played it much straighter here than, say, Atlas did with the Megami Tensei series prior to Persona. Megaten games usually begin in modern Tokyo, but quickly go apocalyptic and change the setting's nature to a sci-fi hellscape. And while Parasite Eve does introduce a state of emergency to justify evacuating New York City, the story nevertheless remains grounded into something akin to reality. The most dramatic event prior to the explosive finale is a limited two-jet airstrike against a single building in Midtown, which is framed as a huge and deadly action that can lead to one of the two non-standard game overs. Parasite Eve was largely inspired by a Japanese novel by the same name, though the video game is very definitely a sequel or alternate telling. While the two works share certain themes and plot devices, they take place in different cities with different characters playing out different events. In truth, Parasite Eve owes just as much of its existence to Final Fantasy VII as to Hideaki Sena's novel.
practice, the entire game could be seen as a full production of an early, abandoned Final Fantasy VII prototype. Sakaguchi's original pitch for Final Fantasy VII saw the story set in modern-day New York City, revolving around a cop named Hot-Blooded Detective Joe. Parasite Eve takes place in New York City, revolving around a police detective named Ayabrea, whose blood frequently becomes literally heated as she undergoes a biological evolution. The games have other broad similarities. Aya's partner, Detective Daniel Dallas, feels like a bootlegged version of Final Fantasy VII's Barrett Wallace. Besides their rhyming last names, both Barrett and Dallas are short-tempered black men whose tender side is demonstrated through their diligent efforts at raising a child as a single father. Likewise, Parasite E's villain, a mutated opera singer who abandons the name Melissa Pierce once she becomes Mitochondria Eve, bears a striking conceptual similarity to Sephiroth. In effect, she combines both Sephiroth and Genova into a single character. Like Final Fantasy VII's Cloud and Sephiroth, both Aya and Eve share a mysterious bond that has to do with their supernatural powers. In this case, the power comes from within the characters themselves, as their cellular mitochondria gain sentience and evolve, rather than being derived from an alien invader. But the overall effect is pretty much the same. In a sense, Parasite Eve represented many Squaresoft ideas coming home to roost. Besides the glaring stylistic and thematic similarities to Final Fantasy VII, you can see a lot of other Square DNA at work in the game. The game opens with an opera performance, which seems like an obvious nod to Final Fantasy VI. But there are more substantial connections at work too, especially the combat system, which feels like a direct descendant of the one in Chrono Trigger. Random battles are out. You don't see enemies before they ambush you, but you only enter combat by passing over set points on the map. And there's no separate battle screen, with fights instead playing out in the same environments you're exploring. Aya fights foes in a real-time, turn-based hybrid system in which spatial positioning plays a major role. Since you only control Aya in battle, of course, Chrono Trigger's combo system obviously has no place, so the combat designers made up for this loss by taking advantage of the fact that players didn't have to worry about multiple party members, which allowed them to control Aya freely in battle. Evading enemy attacks and closing the distance became essential considerations, as Aya could only run around the battlefield as she waited for her active time action meter to refill. Once Aya's meter recharged, players could bring up the combat menu to freeze time and select an action. Aya possessed a variety of innate mitochondria skills, but most fighting played out with ballistic weaponry. I could equip a number of different guns ranging from pistols to rocket launchers, each with its own properties, including range. The combat menu brought up a wireframe sphere surrounding Aya, which depicted her current weapon's effective range. The game put the full gamut of battle mechanics to full use from the very first proper boss, which forced players to evade both melee and ranged attacks while maneuvering behind the boss in order to target its weak point. Of course, Aya's supernatural powers also came into play in combat quite frequently, though their high mana cost meant they had to be used sparingly and, like the ATB meter, needed to recharge over time. Players had to be mindful of other factors as well, including reload time on weapon magazines and equipment encumbrance. There was quite a lot happening in Parasite Eve, despite its straightforward appearance.
Even so, many gamers balked at the description of a cinematic RPG. The game certainly was cinematic, but it kind of pushed the boundaries of what people expected from an RPG. A brief game, Parasite Eve could be finished in about 10 hours on a first playthrough and considerably faster in New Game Plus mode. PC gamers sneered that Final Fantasy VII was more a graphical adventure than an RPG, but Parasite Eve fit that bill even more closely. With its cramped urban environments and occasional descents into hunt-the-pixel exploration, Parasite Eve truly felt like a LucasArts or Sierra adventure with RPG elements grafted on top. In hindsight, though, the game lasted just long enough to give a full demonstration of its content. Anything longer would have worn out the welcome. This became evident a few years later when Square panicked that Vagrant Story, which borrowed a number of ideas from Parasite Eve, would be too short. Rather than letting Vagrant Story sand as a 20-hour RPG adventure, the developers copied and pasted massive chunks of the world to pad the game length, to its detriment. Parasite Eve, on the other hand, let players experience a complete story and fully evolve Aya's skills, then ended. Players who wanted more than that could find a ton of additional pure combat in the post-game, with the 100-story Chrysler building, a grueling dungeon packed with the game's toughest combat and the story's true ending. Despite being one of Squaresoft's most unconventional games, or perhaps because of it, Parasite Eve never saw a true follow-up. The direct sequel took the form of a Resident Evil clone, which basically shifted the combat away from its Chrono Trigger roots and, in the process, abandoned everything unique about the original game. Like many of the best original PS1 creations, Parasite Eve was an experimental work from a period of time defined by experimentation. Its one-of-a-kind style makes for a fascinating historical piece, a flawed one perhaps, but one that remains compelling nearly 20 years later. For Retronauts, this has been Jeremy Parrish. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the show at retronauts.com, usgamer.net, or on the iTunes store. We'll be back next week with a full-length episode.